0: On this episode of the LOL Pod, my guest Val Burns and I discuss trauma therapy, intensive healing experiences, and the power of relationships. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I am extremely excited to have the guest with me today. Not only is she my friend, but she's also a psychotherapist, a doctoral student, and the owner and executive director of Gifts of Emotion Trauma Specializing Therapy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. Y'all, I have Val Burns with me. I'm sorry, Valerie Burns. I call her Val Burns. So hey Val, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me today.
0: I am so honored. Um, this is going to be so fun. So uh, I'll start with you, like I do all of my guests, and ask, "What is your labor of love?"
1: Yeah. Well, I guess I have a couple of labors of love going on currently, but they're all related to trauma therapy. So That's I.
0: How- I- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I run- go for
1: it. I run a clinic. Um, tr- uh, gifts of Emotion, Trauma-Specialized Therapy here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, and then I've also returned to get my doctorate um, so I can do some research as well um, on the trauma therapy that, that we do here.
0: That's awesome. Because you know what I don't like? Research. Uh, <laughs> that's not a new thing, <laughs> I, I'm trying to establish a different relationship with research because the truth is I love research. I, I really do, I have an inquisitive mind. I am constantly asking myself, is that a thing? I wonder if that's a thing. I need to know more. So that's research, right? I just don't think I want to do it. I wanna benefit from those <laughs> who do it, glean from that and then help, help people understand it. So um, I love that you are going back so that you can do research. Um, so clearly I talk about trauma all the time. And, um, and I talk about therapy, but when you say trauma therapy, help the listeners understand a little bit about what you specifically mean.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When I talk about trauma therapy, I guess, you know, what I'm mostly talking about is healing from the inside out, um, starting with yourself, the therapeutic relationship, and then how you begin to operate in life um, in a different way.
0: So who um, who can benefit from trauma therapy?
1: Gosh, I think everyone can benefit for, from a little bit of trauma therapy. Um, I really focus on using Pia Melody, um, her post-induction therapy uh, modality. And then, of course, um, Jan Bergstrom kind of grew and, and Rick Butts grew that um, into like the five core issues and uh, the five core practices. And so at Gifts of Emotion, we really, really focus on helping people understand how to integrate that into their daily lives. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of those five core practices that everybody can benefit from.
0: So I, I didn't plant the answer, but of course I knew it. Everybody, if you're <laughs> listening, you can benefit. Like, and, and what I love about it is, and so um, we will take some time to dig into our relationship because I love uh, Val and I's relationship. And we actually met through doing this work um, and got connected through doing our own work. And so one of the things I love about the, the model that we use that's rooted in Pia Melody's work and this developmental and relational trauma therapy, and if you want to know more about it specifically, I think it's episode five. That was a long time ago, y'all, but I did an entire episode on DART, Developmental and Relational Trauma Therapy. So if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to listen to that, head back. And I talk very specifically about the five core issues and five core practices that Val was just talking about. But what I very much, very much love about the, the model is that it requires you to do your work. Me. The person who's helping people, Val, the person who's helping people, everyone in her clinic, we are all required to do our own work. What? I mean, just think about that. Like how special it is that when you go to see a therapist, um, you can feel assured that they are working on their own stuff. To me, that's, that's super important. But yeah, everyone can benefit. And I love that so much. So Val, what I know is that your clinic um, is trauma specializing and you're kind of requiring or hmm, yeah, all of your therapists are kind of using this model and uh, therefore doing their own work and having community built in, you know, into your entire clinic infrastructure. So tell us a little bit about how that's going and, and what made you go from one person right? Who was doing this to saying, I want to bring other, other people into the fold to do it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for asking that question. I love talking about this actually. So I, I did branch out into individual private practice for a little while, um, because I, I really wanted to have, um, a space where I could just do this work and, and, you know, um, be able to work with clients in this capacity, and and that was really wonderful, but as you know, LaShonda, the basis of our model is relationship, healthy relationship with other people, and so I just found that being an individual private practice, while it was really wonderful, there was something really missing, so not only did I want to kind of create that community and that relationship um, to kind of reflect the DART model, um, I also wanted to kind of bring more people into using this model, kind of bring them into the fold, I guess, expose them to that model. Um, there weren't really any other DART therapists in Madison when I started this. Um, so I, I it, it was really a labor of love to spread um, the DART model.
0: Yeah. That's so awesome. And yeah, it's so interesting. I'm not there yet. I don't know if I'll ever be there. And that's okay. Right now, this whole solo practice thing is... <laughs> it's going well for me. However, what I very much love is that there are committed people like you who, you know, are really creating a safe space for people to come in, learn, practice and all that built in. And so that's awesome. So I would love to talk about intensives. Can we talk about intensives? Sure. Let's talk about it. I, I realized as I was sitting here saying, let's talk about intensives that I have, but not on my podcast. I was a guest on someone else's podcast. So I'm like, whoa, you know, my listeners haven't even um, got an opportunity to hear about this awesome experience. So um, part of the work that we do, in addition to, you know, a lot of training, a lot of consultation and things, excuse me, for us to use this model, is we have to go through an intensive. Um, and I want to talk about it because I think it is one of the most, um, it has been an extremely impactful experience for me multiple times over. So the thing is Val and I keep doing them (laughs) and some people think it's crazy, but I, I actually love it. So, um, we'll tag team it, but from your perspective Val, what, what would you say about an intensive if someone says, what in the world is that?
1: Yeah. Wow. Gosh, it's like a year of therapy packed into a weekend. (laughs) That's kind of the nuts and bolts of
0: it. Yeah, like seriously, it is very intense. So a group of people, about three or four, come together with a a facilitator and we uh, go through three processes. Um, over the weekend and I, I hesitate to say weekend because like I'm doing one in May and it's not it's not on a weekend so over three days right and we go through the process of one what we call um, a debriefing and it's essentially kind of going through your life um, and what we're pulling out is something that I talk about all the time something that I call a template we are looking for what are some of the beliefs you've absorbed what are some of the worldviews that were developed as you were growing up? What are some of the behavior patterns that emerged all based on kind of these experiences that you had growing up in your family system or your social structure? And so it's really just what was it like growing up being you? It's not like rooting around looking for issues, but it is just saying, hey, what did you learn about life based on how your family was comprised, your community, what you participated in, what you didn't participate in. And so we, the, the first day is, is that. And we're, uh, we're kind of what we call rearranging the furniture because many of us grow up and we know the facts of our history, but we've never sometimes had someone to put it in perspective. So like those of us who were big caretakers uh, for our parents And took a lot of pride in it. Right. I did that. Hey, we never really had someone to say, hey, that kind of wasn't your job. You know, you were the child. What? Hold on. Wait a minute. Right. So we go through this process of just kind of exploring that. And then the next day um, we do what is called an inner child work where We go back because what I've talked about before as well is we all have these inner children living in us. They're still there and they still have the same needs that they had when we were that age. And so we make contact with a couple of these littles, as I call them. And, you know, we want to give them what they needed, what they deserve, what they didn't get, but also offer them the opportunity to kind of come with us. And they don't have to be afraid anymore. They don't have to do all these things because our littles will rise up and take over without without our permission. So before I even go on, can we talk about littles? Like, I know I'm very transparent and I want you to be as transparent as you want to be. But when I talk about it, I, I don't know. I, I need some cooperation here. Like how have your inner children showed up in your life now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I think, you know, I, I primarily identify as a scapegoated lost child. So, you know, my, my real young ones were very shy, very lost. And then my teenager, my inner teenager, um, is probably the one that I fight with the most and she's a scapegoat. She was an angry girl and she got in trouble for being angry.
0: Mm. And how in your, so let's say even before you started this process, how did that angry teenager show up in your life before you actually like had a conceptual framework to know what was happening?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. It's that you're, you know, you're walking around all the time with this fundamental belief that there's something wrong with you. You're bad. You are inherently bad at your core. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really, that was really a challenge. It, it's hard to grow when you're always walking around thinking I'm bad. There's no use in trying anything because I'm just, there's something
0: wrong with me. I want to overlay a little bit. Um, Do we talk about the Enneagram, you and I, a lot? Do you know your type? I
1: I feel like I've taken this a million times, but it just never sticks because I just, I, I've never been like educated in Enneagram. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I remembered us talking and mentioning, like, at least at the time that you, you had typed uh, as a three, which it just makes sense to me, <laughs> right? If, if this, this little, if this young girl, uh, the achiever, the, yeah. the one who's prone to accomplishment, look the part, sound the part, be the part, right? Yeah. And it's like, if this, if this young part of you is walking around fundamentally believing something is wrong with her, why would she not? Yes. Always be constantly trying to prove that there's not. So <laughs> Girl,
1: still the very reason why I'm going back to get my doctorate, <laughs> I'm sure in some aspect,
0: right? So it's, just it's always popping up. It is always popping up. So I, I really appreciate that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, there, there's young, young me, like three, four, and she experiences pervasive loneliness, mm-hmm. even when she's around other people. And that would show up for me. Um, sometimes the loneliest I've ever felt is when I'm in a room full of people, and it's like she emerges when I'm in gatherings. And so I've learned that part. And then there's this nine year old part of me. Um, real quick story: When I was nine, I was at a friend's house, and I got swarmed by uh, I got swarmed by bees, and I got stung six to eight times, and. Um, on the way to the hospital uh, to make sure I wasn't allergic I was told that the reason I got stung by the bees was probably because I had all this gel in my hair and that's an extremely condensed version of the story but that nine-year-old believes no matter what happens to me it's my fault I mean and think about a child it makes sense to me I get why she thinks that If, if it's my fault that a swarm of bees attacked me as I was walking by. What I didn't know is earlier, some kids in the neighborhood had been throwing rocks at a beehive. And so, you know, as I was walking down the street, I got attacked. But if I could have caused that to happen, then surely everything else that happens in my life must be my fault. So she shows up, I realized she was the one that when I was in the grocery store, and like, you know, you're getting ready to you know, two people. I don't know. Almost bump into each other. She's the one that's first to say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." She apologized for everything. She apologized for breathing. Well, that makes sense because if again that thing could be her fault and everything is her fault. Um, yeah, I I got a 14 year old in there. She's not my teenager. She's my. I call her my adolescent. Uh, she was raped, and. Her fundamental belief is that our body is not ours. She doesn't get to say no. She doesn't get to control that. So how does she show up? Go to a restaurant and the food is not right. She's the one that's like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll just eat it. Nope, no, nope, it's okay. Or get my nails done. And like, there's a little, a little nick, right? And she's the one that's like, it's fine, it's fine. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. It's fine. So she doesn't want to rock it, but she's like, no, 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 it's okay. She doesn't believe she can advocate for that. And then there's this teenager who shows up, and she is a lip smacking, neck rolling, extremely sarcastic, witty, and funny young lady. She's very polished, so she can seem like she's an adult, but she's not, and she has very little compassion. <laughs> so, all of these things show up. What I love about the work in general, you know, but when we're doing these intensives, is getting an opportunity to, to really come in contact with these parts of ourselves. And for the most part, let them know that they no longer have to try to be in control. Mm-hmm. That we, we got it. We are functional adults and we're here to reparent them and nurture them and all of that stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I just, I love the way that you just kind of painted that. And it, it, it just really goes to show how that power of externalizing what was going on for you, you know, in this way, just helps ease that shame, right? Because that's kind of the core of all of it, right? Is this shame where we go back into these little parts and then all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, who am I, what am I, what am I doing? Everything is just, you know, and, and, and it feels really out of control. So by making contact with these little parts of us, these younger parts of us, it really helps us to feel whole again. And it helps us to learn how to connect again, not only with ourselves,
0: Um, but with other people as well. Beautifully put, beautifully put. Uh, And so then the third day of the intensive is what we call um, shame reduction or standing in our truth. And this is where, you know, we kind of go back. And when I say go back, I guess it's important to kind of (laughs) help you understand what we mean. So um, this portion of our work is rooted in Gestalt therapy. And so if you've ever heard of like the empty chair, Um, you know, kind of that work. So you're sitting, your eyes are closed. um, And the powerful thing about our minds is it does not know the difference between history, reality, and imagination. It just doesn't. How do you know? You ever dream you've been chased by something? You wake up heart pounding, out of breath. You weren't running, you were sleeping. But because your mind thought you were running, it dispatched everything in your body to follow. And so you wake up panting. So it's also why it's important to not ruminate over negative things, because as you're doing that, you're 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 putting your body in a position to prepare for that. So, um, if you if you're one of those people who find yourselves um, like obsessing over a conversation that's about to happen, and you only think about the negative response, so let's say let's say your partner or your kid, right? You're like, Mm-mm, I'm going to talk to them when I get home. And then you start planning it out in your mind. And then in your mind, they make a face that's dismissive. Or they say a comment that is disrespectful. That person walks in the room. Next thing you know, you going off and they just got there. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> what is happening? And you're all amped up because, that, because if we do it in our mind, it's like we've actually done it. So that was just a side note. But when we say go back, whether it's the inner child work or this shame reduction and standing in our truth, um, because our eyes are closed and we are visualizing making contact with these littles or having these conversations, it is like we're there. The very first time I did it, I remember opening my eyes and was like, yeah, this is like VR meets time travel <laughs> in a very <laughs> weird way, but it's powerful. So this third day, we're actually going back to have a conversation, a one-way conversation uh, with whoever offended us or didn't protect us or was responsible for our pain when we were that little age. And we're, we're giving them back all the things we've carried all this time, right? There is no justification. There's no them talking back to us, but it is simply us saying, this is what you did or didn't do. And this is how it impacted my life. And here's what I've been carrying because of it. And now I'm gonna have to give that back. Right. And it is, it is, the whole experience is just so, so, so powerful. So one, you know, I wanted to talk about it because I do offer intensives. Val is not interested in offering them at all. (laughs) I wish you could see her face like, "Mm -mm." but she's about as interested in offering intensives as I am about running a clinic. So fair, right? We both do what we're suited to do and we still, are like really serving the community, but I wanted people to know a little bit about it, but to also know that like, we've been through this multiple times <laughs> and you, we, we have this like 13 page uh, questionnaire we fill out. And here's how deep it is. I filled out my first one in 2017 and I probably will never fill out another one because you never run out of things to work on because, these parts of us because we're organic and we change that things keep popping up so I just wanted to take a moment to talk about intensives with my intensive sister so this is how we this is how we got close Val, what's your perspective of how we became a sisterhood
1: (laughs) yeah oh man there's something really powerful that happens in that room when you're doing an intensive there is this real um somatic piece you were mentioning that about how you know when you're having these conversations in your head and then all of a sudden you feel overwhelmed because you imagined you know i'm just kind of rewinding the tape a little bit and going there right like there is a somatic thing that happens in your body when that happens and and having the ability to heal that um somatically in your body as well as in your mind i mean they 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 share an address right so um very connected there Um, there's something really powerful that happens and it's done in this like sacred space of the intensive, um, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to call it the intensive weekend. Right. Um, and it, it almost, there's, there's a little family that's created there, right? The safe, functional adult family that's created. And, um, yeah, I would just say that in, in that space. I think you and I just really bonded. I mean, I also think that our experiences have a lot of similarities, yeah. right? Yeah. I identify so much with that little part of you that feels so lonely. I was such a lonely child. Being in a room with um, a lot of people is, is also where I probably feel the loneliness, loneliest. And um, so I, I really identified that with that um, and, and having you there to kind of validate those experiences and um, and everything was just it was really powerful. I, I think that that's just one of the the beautiful things that happens in the intensive is that you you heal in relationship with other people who are with you.
0: It's so true. And to have people bear witness to your healing is so powerful. just you, you open your eyes and you realize that you were never alone. You were always being held. Um, it is, it is sacred work and it it's so impactful. And it becomes this thing now where we have this relationship. And, and again, you know, Val and I, we've done intensives, we've done several together. And so we are doing that. So it's support, but it's also accountability. Like, you know, I can very gently be like, hey boo, that's your teenager, <laughs> you know, and be like, oh, because these parts arise, we don't always recognize that. Or Val is so quick to just be like, hey, what do you need right now? And I'm just like, oh, look at that. Like, I, I'm not thinking about my need. I just want a tantrum. <laughs> and so she's always like, what do you need right now? And so we've developed this ability to be there for one another, but we also are aware of the backstory right? And when I promise you, what comes out of a person makes sense when you understand what went into them. And I, I believe so much in this work that once you start to see how your actions and inactions are rooted in what went into you, and you build that compassion for self, it becomes so much easier to have compassion for other people. And it, it is to the point, and I'm far from perfect, and I'm not saying all the time, but my capacity to look at a person's actions and get curious instead of judgmental is through the roof now because I've learned to do that for myself. And so, yeah, I just, I wanted to talk about intensives because they've changed my life and um, they're super, super um, amazing experiences. And I wanted to talk about it, um, especially since I'm moving into a space where I think, you know, it's possible that I might be offering more of them going forward. So who? Love it. So tell me a little bit about your doctorate, also something that intimidates me. Um, <laughs> what's this experience been like for you? Ooh, well, <laughs> it's something
1: that I always wanted to do. You know, I, I went back to finish my um, undergraduate degree later um, in my 20s. And so when I went back, I did it with the full intention that I would be a therapist someday and hopefully I would get my doctorate. Um, and and I wasn't sure at that point, you know, really what that would look like. So it's always kind of, it's always been on my radar and then, you know, went to school, did my master's, was ready to kind of be done with school for a while and then um, was looking at programs and then the pandemic hit and we had to postpone our wedding and the clinic went fully virtual for a while. So I was like, all right, I've got a little extra time. Um, Is it possible that maybe this might be an opportunity uh, for me to pound out some graduate credits while they're offered virtually? Um, You know, because gosh, social stuff kind of went out the window at that point. Uh, So I looked into it and connected with, um, so I'm at Viterbo University, which is a um, private college up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. They are known for their nursing program. Um, And I connected with, The um, director there, uh, Dr. Deb Murray, who's a psychologist and just really hit it off. She has a background in addictions like I do. Um, So it was a really, really great fit. So I just kind of loaded up my plate with credits. I'm kind of doing like full-time plus. um, And uh, it's it's been really, really interesting. The program is actually called, um, it's a uh, doctor of education. um, So an EDD in um, counselor supervision, um, counselor education and supervision, CES. Um, So the focus really, it's it's a really fantastic fit because it focuses on supervision of new therapists, um, which is really one of my interests. Um, And then also, you know, as part of any doctorate program or most doctorate programs anyway, there's a dissertation and research involved. Um, So I've been learning a ton about supervision, which has been phenomenal, um, and then also learning kind of, you know, the ins and outs of of research as I kind of lay the foundations
0: for a dissertation. Yeah. Yes, that sounds awesome. Still intimidating to me. So way to lead the way there, right? So at some point, I can be like, if Val can do it, I can do it. And I ain't even saying that's a path. I'm just saying that's a possibility. So you hit on something that I really want to talk about. I, I thought about when we were preparing for our talk, I was like, you know, I haven't talked about this. And I totally know that some listeners are going to resonate with your experience. Um, the pandemic hit and you were supposed to get married in 2020. And we were super excited. We had a bachelorette weekend planned in New Orleans and then the whole world shut down. So let's talk a little bit about like what that was like. I, I just remember feeling so bad, right? There is all this stuff going on and you, I mean, you feel bad because of COVID period, but then I thought you were the only person I knew personally, who, um, who had something extremely important, big plan, and then had to, to, Postponed, canceled, that whole thing. So, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like?
1: Yeah, this is, this might be a little different than you're expecting, but I feel like I've gotten this reaction from a lot of people where they're like, wow, this was something really big and really important planned. And gosh, that must have been so hard. And I'm going to be honest with you, we, you know, my um, fiance um, is a physician, he's in emergency medicine. So, when this kind of all started going down end of February, we were like, yep, this is this is not gonna happen. So we we had kind of a long um, view. We had a lot of time to prepare. So it wasn't one of those things where we were really shocked. We also, um, you know, being in our mid-30s, we we're kind of like, we've been together for, you know, five, six years now we really wanted this to be a party with our friends and i think with the knowledge that you know what it's not going to happen the way that we want it to happen we um it wasn't super heartbreaking for us to postpone it um we had a lot of other things going on at the at that point anyway the clinic was expanding um we're in the process of buying a house so we're like okay this is fine and and somehow um we just kind of rolled with it we sent out postcards saying hey we'll see you next year. Um, And now we're having it in June. So a couple months away, might still have to wear masks, but it's an outdoor wedding. So I think it'll be all right.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I knew how you did it, but yeah, that is surprising, right? Like I can imagine there's the functional adult part that's like, Hey, this is okay. But there's the other part that's like, no, no, no. But I really love that perspective. There are so many people who had to change and alter plans. And, um, you know, again, I, I really do believe that part of that perspective that you were able to take is because you've been doing your work is because it wasn't this little girl who didn't understand that. No, doesn't mean never because little children really do believe no means never, which is why when they say, can I have that piece of candy? And you say, no, they fall out into the ground. Imagine someone telling you and your adult self that you're never going to be able to eat candy again. You fall out too, right? So the nature of a child is not understanding time. (laughs) It's not understanding delayed gratification. They haven't built that capacity yet. And so I could imagine had you not been actively doing your own healing work that this could have felt and been very different and so yeah that that's super awesome um my best friend is a wedding photographer and so kind of having some insights to the background right of like all of her livelihood essentially dried up in a moment um and even even as a person who um I would say at one point, probably 65 to 70% of my income was training and speaking. I remember um, a week (laughs) in March, where over the course of maybe four days, just stuff just kept falling, falling off the calendar, falling off the calendar. And it was like tens of thousands of dollars in a week that was just like gone. And it was just whoa. So definitely, you know, it hit uh, the wedding industry, the party industry pretty hard, but super excited. Um, it seems like from all accounts I've heard that uh, rescheduling and postponing, uh, people were extremely flexible and, and things like that. So did you find that was your experience?
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably also part of it, right? Is that like control in me, right? As a teenager, if I can control things, then, um, you know, they feel better, right? So I think that having that option so early on to be like, if I reschedule it right now, we can have the same wedding at a different date. And it was very, very smooth. Gosh, I just can't imagine what it was what it would be like to be in the event industry. that That's really, really unfortunate. But fortunately, um, almost all of our um, vendors were just so, so gracious about the
0: reschedule yeah that's awesome that's awesome and um maybe another perspective that will be helpful to talk about too is as you mentioned you are partnered with someone who's kind of like frontline medical staff and you know obviously now we have more information than we had this time last year um you know as it as it was making its way hadn't even maybe hit um the United States at this point, last year, sure I don't remember, but what was it like for you being partnered with someone you knew was very much on the very active in the front lines of medicine when all of this was taking place?
1: Yeah. So I'll never forget. It was, um, it was one of the last weekends in February and we were out visiting my brother in Denver, Colorado. So we were out there and the news came that there would be the shutdown, um, kind of, I think across the country, um, but at least in Madison, Wisconsin. And I remember us I sitting there, and, and we were really kind of panicking about whether we would be able to get on a flight and get back home, or if if, if that would shut down as well. Um, and so, you know, that was that was really early in the year. Gosh, we're I think we're right about the one year anniversary right now. Um, and I I just remember everybody kind of looking at Drew, my fiance, and being like so what does this mean? And he was just like, yeah, this is, this is going to be a while. It's going to take a while. This is not going to be a quick thing. Um, but as far as, you know, um, fear about, about illness, um, fear about him working on the front lines. I mean, there, there is always a fear there. Right. But Drew, who um, works on, he works at UW MedFlight. Um, so he's, you know, Really, kind of on the front lines as a, as a first responder, um, flying into scene accidents and, and uh, crazy things that happen, and then also working in the ER, um, he's already got a lot of exposure to some really, really wild stuff. And I think that there's a comfort in that honestly, it sounds weird maybe to say this, but when this hit, it didn't feel differently to me because there's already so many precautions taken on a daily basis. Drew comes home, you know, our, our uh, washing machine is right near the door where he enters, so uh, strip down, get in the shower, um, you know, to, to minimize exposure of anything, right? So um, I, I think, honestly, it felt um, a little bit more controlled for me. I think if I didn't have him in my life and I didn't have um, this kind of knowledge and, and things like that from via him, um, it might feel a little bit scarier. And I, I think that's really reflect- reflective of what um, everybody else must feel in,
0: in the States, right? And worldwide. So you said that and what it made me think of is, um yeah, that, that's, that's such an interesting perspective. I appreciate that. Um, and in some ways, it reminds me of trauma mm-hmm. and adverse experiences that you can build such a resilience to things as you experience hardship, that when other people experience similar or same things, they're losing their minds. And you're like, it's another day. And it took me back to college. So when I was an undergrad at the University of Michigan, go blue, um, I had this perspective. It was a very defiant perspective. It was, why should I have to work? Okay. I'm looking around at all these people around me and they don't have to work and go to school. I should just be able to go to school. Uh, well, boo, you got to work because you you don't have the financial support that they do. (laughs) So I went a couple of years, like in this, no, I'm just going to focus on school. And through this very crazy circumstance of like, I would have been, I would have been that person content to live in the dorms forever. Like I didn't need an experience outside of that, but like I was going to be an RA, but then I missed a meeting. And then by the time I was no longer able to do that, I had missed the opportunity to apply for Housing, blah, blah, blah. So, anyway, a friend and I had to get an apartment um, off campus, which we're talking at this point almost 20 years ago, and it was $1,000 a month, which is just absolutely ridiculous for a two bedroom apartment, but whatever. So, we get this apartment, and um, I'm still trying not to work. And, you know, my roommate was a year ahead of me, so she graduated. And left. Now she still paid up her part to the end of the lease, but then I realized, oh shoot, I gotta work. So I'm talking. I had a. It was such. I I can still feel it in my body. Like I went through this whole thing. Like letters on the door, eviction notices. My lights got cut off because by the time I decided, okay, I'm going to work, I hadn't. I didn't know or took for granted to take time to get a job, right? And so, to this day, this is how trauma works. I would get eviction notices on my door and it was just like a piece of paper taped to your door. Well, now I'm talking maybe, I don't know, within the year I came home and there was a note taped to my door and my body seized. Like literally I was walking to my door and I stopped, I froze because of that piece of paper on the door. Now, all they were trying to communicate to us was, I don't know, something that was happening around the complex. But because my only other experience with a letter taped to the door was eviction, my body stopped. It was a visceral freeze response. It was so crazy, and even though I know, like I'm not getting evicted, I paid it. So this is how it works. Um, but it was it was just oh my goodness. And so my lights were off and. You know, this is when cell phones were—they existed, but not everyone had a cell phone. But I had saved up enough money to get a cell phone, and uh, which <laughs> was at the top of my priority list because I was in a relationship with someone out of state. That's a whole different story, y'all. I'm writing the book, I am. But anyway, point is, it was a bright light, so I used the light of my cell phone to like navigate, but no one knew. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my friends. No one knew what I was going through. There was so much shame attached to what I was going through that like I I had not told anybody. I had perfected taking cold showers because when your electricity is off, so is your water heater. It was just this whole thing. Well, I made it to the end of that lease and it was time for me to move. And I decided that was my junior year of college. And I decided I'm going to commute my senior year. And I won't forget this. It was August 14 of 2003. I remember this because my boyfriend at the time, it was his birthday and he, him and another friend of mine were helping me move out of my apartment. And I don't know if people will remember this and it didn't hit Cincinnati, which is very interesting, but New York and Detroit and these other people, there was a blackout. Like we just lost power. August fourteenth, two thousand three, and no one had answers for what was happening, and I just remember people freaking out. But I had been living in the dark for months, and I just remember looking around, being like, "I'm good." Like, you know, people are like, "Are you no?" I get, I get, everything I need to do, I can do because I had learned how to navigate the darkness. (laughs) And so that is when you talked about like having Drew in your life and all these things in place, a pandemic hit and you were still like it, you know, we, we're equipped for this. And so I can understand that. And I, I want um, my listeners to think about, have you had an experience similar? The details don't have to match, but when something happens and people go like, Oh my God. And you're like, what that's resilience, right? If you have a hard time being like, I don't think I'm resilient, that that's resilience. Find that thing and go, Wow, I have learned to overcome, I have learned to equip myself. I'll be the first to say we don't always do it in the most healthy way, right? But we learn to get past these things, and it's just so interesting how. I think in five to 10 years through that span, we're going to see so much data emerging from 2020 and 2021 that is going to show us so much about our systems and infrastructures. Um, It's gonna highlight oppression in a way that we can't deny it anymore. And it's just gonna do some things. So thank you for sharing that. So congratulations, your wedding is is happening soon, several months away um, and anything you want to just share about what it's like now that it's coming and for real, for real now?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited, and I'm even more excited that all the planning is out of the way. I just get to kind of, like, let it happen now. I mean, there's, like, a few little things here or there, right, but, um, yeah, now I'm just kind of, like, relaxed and enjoying it. It's great,
0: that is also a good point. All the planning is done. You know, I just know a lot of brides get real stressed and grooms. Like let's be for real. A lot of people who are getting married get super stressed about all the planning, but you're right. Like done, done and done. So that's awesome. I've got
1: the dress. I've got the, you know, invitations. I I mean, yeah, it's great. Now it gets to feel truly like a party now, what that will look like come end of June, whether we still have to be masked outdoors and distanced and you know what all that means I, I don't know, and we're gonna have to roll with that, but I think that we're we're pretty resolved at this point because we're just ready to be married. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome, and the fact that it's outdoors is super cool, and i I absolutely love that um so. What I really appreciated um, about having the opportunity to talk to you from both a professional and personal standpoint is um, wanting to talk a little bit about relationships. You know, we talked about the foundation of all of our work is really healthy relationships. And um, I I find that if I look back in my history, um, female relationships were sometimes challenging um, for many reasons. Um, but now I've found that I am seeking and encouraging and embracing relationship in ways that I never thought I could. So how have relationships shifted for you, you know, over the last several years?
1: Yeah. Wow. That's such a great question. I really, really struggled with female relationships when I was young um, and I, I, I had a really hard time making friends. And I, I think that that's a product of my trauma and the template that I was, you know, kind of grown into. Um, I recognized probably around my early twenties that what was, and, and this was before I did any therapy or anything, but I, I just kind of was, was like, gosh, I really just wish that I had girlfriends. I wish I, you know, I wish I was quote unquote normal. Right. And that's, um, that's kind of the basis for, for a lot of, of my healing. I just want to feel normal. Right. And, and so when I went back to college in my, um, mid to late twenties, that was one of my biggest priorities was I want a group of girlfriends that I'll have forever, you know? Um, so, so I, I really, really focused on that as part of my college experience, um, and I am so happy to say that I just have the best group of girlfriends. I have my two best girlfriends, Jen and Olivia, and now they're families and their families are my families. And of course you, LaShonda, um, and your family. And so, you know, relationships really have changed for me over time because I, I think that I'm learning to kind of see myself um, not always in competition or not always as other, you know, um, but more—more more as a part of of other people and um, separate, but also connected, right? And so, using those five core issues, learning how to see the value in yourself and others, and and that not being totally enmeshed or connected, um, not being codependent or anti-dependent, but um, you know, interdependent also learning that moderation. And I mean, I could go through the five core, right? But, but that's kind of the basis for it. And it's, it's so interesting how, you know, when people start doing trauma work or when they really get driven to do it, um, what I usually hear from them is, I'm really unhappy in my life. Things are unmanageable. Things are not working, right? And, and that's kind of, um, I got to that point where I was like, gosh, things are not working in my life. I need
0: to change, I appreciate that <clears throat> yeah. on so many levels. Um, I, when you were talking, I'm like, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. You know, this sense of competition um, and, you know, I, I, I think I had made up in my mind that that was a experience. Not that I'm the only person that experienced, no, not that. But I did, I made it up. Maybe it's because I was from Detroit. (laughs) Maybe it's because I'm this. No, these are really universal experiences. And I had one experience, um, I think it was back in 2012, uh, which 2012 was a year. I I feel like at some point... (laughs) in some book I write, there's just going to be a chapter called 2012. It was something like I had, I had just exited um, a 12 year relationship. Um, I was navigating singleness and single parenting and had no idea who I was. None. It, it was, it was just a year. And uh, a friend of mine that I worked with at the time um, reached out to me and was like, Hey, a group of friends and I are going to a Bengals football game, and one of my friends got sick. Um, would you like to take her ticket? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, sure. I'd never been to a football game, and it was one of the best days. This was a group of ladies, and, and, and what I love, it was a group of Black women, Um and that definitely was outside of my experience, like, my experience is you put a whole bunch of Black women together and it gets real catty, it gets real this, I feel very insecure, um, don't feel like I fit in, that's rooted back in growing up, you know, which, to be fair, I mean, we weren't adults, we were, <laughs> we were kids, so there's a part of that, we were adolescents, but I never felt good enough. We didn't have the money, so I couldn't wear the designer clothes. I was always the fat girl of the group, so I never felt good enough. It, it just this whole thing. And so we went, I went to the football game, and then it was my first time ever having sushi. And it was, I just remember being like, this is amazing, like, to be with a group of women. And, like, all it is is, like, fun and support. And 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 it was just, like, this totally amazing experience, Um, and I really appreciated that. And then now, you know, so time has gone and, you know, life, right? I just still hadn't had an opportunity to forge this group of people. I have good friends, right? And some good associates, but like bring them all together. And I'm just like, I don't even remember the movie. And I don't even know if I saw it, but it was called like Bridesmaids or something. So I didn't see the movie. So it's not an endorsement for it, but just this idea of like, hey, let's get together. And then um, Val Burns, two years ago now, I guess at this point, invited me to her bachelorette party. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to go. I've never been to a bachelorette party. So I'm excited about we, I was really excited last year, you know, but COVID, I think that should be a shirt too. Anybody out there want to make a shirt? It should say, but comma COVID, <laughs> because I feel like that's what 2020 was, but COVID. Um, So I'm excited this year that we get to come together. And what's so interesting is I already feel different. Like I'm not thinking about, oh my God, will they like me? What if I feel different? What if this, what if that? Oh, no, I am like, we are going to have fun and I don't know them, but I know Val, I trust her, right? If she's good friends with them. And so I'm super excited about the time we're going to have at the end of May, um, just really realizing that we can engage with the world differently. I think that's my biggest point. Like no, you know the people who be like, because I was like, I don't really do girls like that, you know, like large group, da da da. All these things we declare, it it it's not from a functional adult space. It's from those very wounded littles we have, and it makes sense. Like it's not that you're wrong. It's just that healing is possible and when you heal you engage with the world differently and so I'm super excited to engage with the world differently with you and your friends my dear thank you
1: gosh I'm sitting over here like nodding my head so hard that I'm probably gonna have like a whiplash I'm just over here like cheering <laughs> yes this is what it is this is what's up yeah
0: yeah I love it so much and I'm I'm excited that, um, we can do things like this, right? We can do the podcast and we can talk about healing. And I think that's important. I think we've said something maybe that someone has heard for the first time, but what's so important is we live it. Okay. Not from a space of perfectionism, but from a space of like, oh man, I can recognize that thing. Oh man, I see that. And, and that's the best thing surrounding yourself with people who aren't just like-minded, but like acted, <laughs> if that's a thing, right? Don't just tell me you think the way I think, or you believe the way I believe, but can we engage with the world on the same, you know, with the same fundamental, um, I don't know, belief systems and worldviews? And ours is that healing is possible. How do we know? Because we're doing it. And I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Val, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners just before we start to wrap up that we didn't get a chance to talk about today?
1: Gosh, you've done such a beautiful job of covering so much. I mean, and if I'm honest, we could talk about this for several more hours. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I, one thing that I love about this model and, and, you know, being in this model with you is, is exactly what you said, right? Like we're all working it together. It's not just our job. It's something that we do in our lives on a daily basis. We are really working it. And I think one of the things that's, um, that I tell clients when, when they call, um, is that, you know, you, you can rest assured that your therapist is doing this work as well. There's so many clients who come in and they're so full of shame. They have so much shame about where they've been or what they've done or, you know, what, what their life has looked like. And, um, and we just try to normalize that, right. And, and those feelings are, are shared um, and, and they can, they can just rest assured that then when they're coming in and working with our therapists that, you know, we, we recognize these very basic um, aspects of the human experience.
0: Yeah. So important. I, I think it's very important for those of us who have platforms or who are in perceived positions of authority highlight our humanity, it's super important. And we're as human as can be, we're just humans who are on the healing journey and I love it, I love it, thank you. That is such an excellent point. So Val Burns, if someone were to want to find you or reach out to you, if you said something that sparked their interest, how might people find and get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I'm at Valerie at GiftsOfEmotion.com. I'm not super active on social media, um, so our website for the clinic is Gifts, plural, G-I-F-T-S of Emotion, singular, uh, E-M-O-T-I-O-N.com, and it's just Valerie at Gifts of Emotion.
0: Love it. And I'm going to finish like I do with all of my guests and ask if you can share a interesting, fun, or little known fact about yourself.
1: I am a huge fan of Saturday Night Live. And I love that you brought up the movie Bridesmaids, which has, of course, Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig, some of my favorite ladies from Saturday Night Live. That movie is such... Um, that just speaks to my soul, right? When you're thinking about bridesmaids and um, how people kind of like come together in competition and the mixing of friends, old and new. Um, and one thing that I've just always been drawn to about Saturday Night Live is that um, in so many of their sketches, they just really highlight the human experience and poke fun at it. And I love that. I just love it.
0: So now I'm going to have to go watch bridesmaids. Please uh... do. Please do. <laughs> I will.
1: I so it a thousand times.
0: I love it. I will check it out. Val, thank you so much for taking time out to just be with me to share your voice and your work with my listeners. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, the awesome Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, and of course, to you, my listeners. I never take it for granted that you take time to listen to our episodes. If you have suggestions for content or guests, please reach out to the website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. Don't forget, we are on all the major social media outlets, if you haven't already. Please head over to our Instagram page, specifically for the podcast podcast the underscore lol underscore pod and also don't forget to give us that five star rating write a review share the podcast with your friends and loved ones until we connect again you all be well